Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. You're not cheating on your wife if you eat my lemon square. Your lemon squares taste like ass. And welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking eroticized stripper nurses. We're talking shiitake mushrooms. And we're talking this job is more than sticking thermometers in butts and looking pretty. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace, and we're talking, we found vecuronium in Larry's system. Do you know what that is? It's a paralytic drug. Why would Larry inject himself with a paralytic drug? He wouldn't. It paralyzes you. Oh my god. (laughs) The funny thing is, is hearing it is ridiculous. But watching it play out on screen, I was just like, this is so stupid. What are we doing? I, everyone, we are talking Nurse 3D this week. And, um, well, uh, you're welcome or we're sorry. It depends on what you're going to fall into with this. (laughs) Or both, yes. We have delivered the zany madness on just the second week of our Summer of Camp series. Oh, boy. And, yes, y'all, this, um... I mean, uh, probably a good example of modern camp, but again, we're going to quibble with the definition of camp and what qualifies as that in a bit, because I don't know what this movie is trying to do. Mm -hmm. Well, Mm -hmm. I think I know what it's trying to do overall. Right. But scene by scene, it seems to not be hitting the mark all the time, for better and for worse. Like, I... (laughs) (laughs) I I think this is a movie that is trying to be silly and bad, which it does accomplish. Unfortunately, sometimes it's just bad, Mm -hmm. but that adds to my enjoyment of the film, but it won't for others. (laughs) Right. And as many people will probably expect, I'm slightly less enthused by this movie, but Mm -hmm. I will agree with you that there are times when this movie is giving me absolutely everything that I could want for in a ridiculous campy fest. Right. And yet there are other times where I'm like, oh no, now it's just being a kind of shitty erotic thriller and or like a showgirls homage, but not in the right ways. So I I ran kind of hot on cold on this one to the point where I think I literally texted you and said, I don't even know how to rate this movie. You know what? I don't even blame you for that. This is a four-star film for me, but in the sense that, like, I am aware of the quality of some of the things in this Mm -hmm. movie. Mm -hmm. I do think this movie had... I don't... I, mm, studio tampering of sorts. It was shelled for two years after it finished filming. Yeah, which some people are going to use in their arsenal against this movie and say, oh, well, that's proof that they knew they had a bad film on their hands or uh, they knew that they couldn't do anything with it. They couldn't market it and so on. It's not always true. Like there have been plenty of movies who get lost in studio shuffling. Sometimes uh, they just decide that they want to tinker with it if the studio gets sold even. So those things are not necessarily on display here but yeah it's also coming out at a bit of a weird time where i think 
there were decisions that had to be made about do we try to pursue theatrical or do we just go VOD or like home video rental market and so on because this movie is very much hey let's get horny dumb boys at Blockbuster to rent this movie very much so but again it's something where you know we talked about um what's something like piranha 3d you know way back in march where it's like well this is marketed towards like horny teenage boys which i Mm -hmm. think this falls in that camp as well like you just said absolutely yeah but at the same time there's a huge draw from your gay audience too for something Mm -hmm. like this and i think that's something that studios tend to forget about or at least in 2014 when this was coming out yeah, which is bizarre, right? Because this movie is explicitly queer, right? Like yes. the central conflict is between two women to the point that Valerie Complex wrote about this movie in a listicle for Slash Film talking about this is the example of the lesbian psycho trope that needs to go away and die. And I'm partially like, I don't even agree with that perspective because I don't think that this is a lesbian who is a villain because of her sexuality, which right. is what would typically make it problematic. I just think this happens to be a queer psycho. It, it is. I mean, because, the th- well, we, we'll talk about Abby's backstory when we get to the plot portion of the film. But yeah, there's nothing about her sexuality. I mean, sexuality did lead her on this path, but it was her father's, her philandering father's is cheating that mm-hmm. led her on this path. Now, I guess if you want to read like, oh, that made her gay, quote unquote, because no. she immediately like hated men. Like, sure. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But I think we can agree on one thing, Joe, and that is mm-hmm. without Paz de la Huerta's quote unquote performance in this movie, <laughs> I don't think we'd be talking about this as much. Uh, I think we would just be talking about it as a bit of a piece of shit. Yes, I, I 100% agree. And that is not to say that Delaware's performance is not a piece of shit, because I do think yeah. it is a bad, bad performance. Yes. But it makes the film better. I think you even messaged <laughs> me. You were like, it's like Elizabeth Berkley and Showgirls levels of bad. Like, it's that. 100%. Yeah, like, without her, this is just a bad movie, you know, poorly executed with a very convoluted storyline. But something about this actress who feels as though she is in a completely different movie (laughs) to me that is where a lot of the camp elements are coming out of it's like every time she's on screen the movie is magic whenever she's not on screen the movie becomes a bit of a turd there i will discuss (laughs) (laughs) indeed that's why we're here for an episode (laughs) i mean look so i i i I got the blu-ray for this just so i could listen to the commentary because i've seen this movie a handful of times i it's definitely a movie that like you know, late at night, you got friends over, like, let's drink and watch this shitty movie. I have double mm-hmm. featured it with Zombievers many times. There you go. Because I put them in the same ballpark, but Zombievers is, I would say, more successful at being intentionally bad than oh, this 100%. is. Oh, 100%. Zombievers is a legitimately enjoyable movie. <laughs> and maybe I would come around on Nurse 3D if I had seen it more than the two times that I watched it for today's <laughs> podcast. Mm-hmm. But I don't get the same kind of like, this movie doesn't feed me in the same way as how delightfully bonkers Beaver is. There's just a lot of points where I'm going, this movie is so what the fuck? What am I doing? What is what is this? What am I watching right now? We have, like, a new sub-character introduced every ten minutes because the movie's yep. like, oh, we better, in case you're bored, here's a new character. Mm-hmm. But I, I do feel like it's going to be a thing where as we go through this plot, I think we're going to 
Because again, watching it is one thing, but trying to mm-hmm. explain what is happening in this movie. <laughs> oh my god. My notes were all over the place. It took me like two to three rewrites just to get this down into something that kind of made sense. This is a 79 minute movie, and I yes. took almost three full pages of notes. I know! The same <laughs> with me! <laughs> but, okay, so I'm, we're getting way ahead of ourselves because I'm just really excited to talk about this ridiculous <laughs> movie. <laughs> Absolutely. So, okay, In 2011, Lionsgate begins seeking directors for their new project, then titled The Nurse 3D. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Big change. Huge changes. On April 15th, 2011, they announced that Doug Arniakoski, the second unit director for Resident Evil Extinction, because that was his big calling card. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we have two Resident Evil connections in this movie, because we have Boris Kojo, who was filming Resident Evil Afterlife in Toronto while this movie was filming. Nice. Um, but yeah, he signs on to direct, and this is why you check footnotes, everyone, because I'm reading things that are like, oh yeah, like Sean Ashmore, Dominic Monaghan, and Ashley Bell were confirmed to be in The Nurse 3D. I fully saw that and thought, wow, what a completely different movie. And then you read it and you're like, no, that's the movie he made before this. What yes, the fuck? exactly. And the footnote led me to a bloody disgusting article where it literally says, Arnie Akoski just directed The Day, which starred blah, 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 blah. So whoever mm-hmm. idiot... <laughs> edited the wikipedia um didn't read that carefully i mean wikipedia is a free open source and uh as such it will reflect certain inaccuracies well nevertheless uh we use wikipedia but we check the footnotes there we go Mm -hmm. (laughs) um there's not a lot of pedigree at least in the crew of this film the only notable one though was the costume designer who is zaldi and Mm. does that name ring a bell to you uh no okay Should it? yeah i didn't recognize him either but um he's a he's a regular mainstay on rupaul's drag race so he does a lot of the costuming for that but okay. he's a very famous and queer costume designer uh he did the michael jackson this is it tour lady gaga's monster ball tour britney spears's femme fatale tour hmm. he was the head designer for gwen stefani's fashion line lamb and he's received five emmy nominations winning in 2017 18 and 19 for the costumes on rupaul's drag race Nice, nice. Now, question, are you going to talk about how this film was inspired by the work of Lionsgate's chief marketing officer, Tim Palin? Okay, no, but what are you talking about? (laughs) Okay, so it seems as though the genesis of this project was actually in this guy's photography. So he he works for Lionsgate in this like senior executive level, but then he also does fashion photography. So Mm. apparently when they were coming up with the nurse, it was based on his photography. And this is the dude who's done the marketing campaigns for stuff like Saw, but then also all of the Saw blood drive posters, which bears an uncanny resemblance to the artwork that we ended up with for Nurse 3D. I was going to say, because that, that artwork for Nurse is just Paz de la Huerta completely naked, covered in blood with a nurse's hat on. Correct. Either that or her riding a syringe like she's fucking uh, Dr. Strangelove. <laughs> yeah, and, but, and that marketing, though, would suggest that the film knows what it's trying to be, right? Well, or you could read it as, hey, teen boys, come watch Sexy Nurse Lady. Maybe, maybe so. Well, Or both. So... <sighs> Does this film feel particularly chopped up to you? Does it feel like it's misedited? <laughs> Sir, these are leading questions. <laughs> I okay, so here we go. Okay, so the original spec screenplay by screenwriter David Lowry, and not the Green Knight David Lowry. This is mm-hmm. L-O-U-G. Some other dude, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, but it was supposed to be much more of a throwback to 90s erotic thrillers, but... Mm-hmm. 
Ar- Ar- Arnie Akoski performed several rewrites, so that's why we have him coming in as a co-writer for this. Um, I guess he rewrote enough of it to um, get that credit. But right. most of what you see in the finished film is what Lauer rewrote, but there are several key changes from script to screen. And here's the thing. This was on the IMDb trivia. I couldn't really find any mm. hardcore evidence for these, and it was not on the Blu-ray, because all we get in the Blu-ray is the commentary, which is kind of a snooze and like an eight-minute featurette. Yeah, which is so disappointing. When you told me it was mostly just technical stuff, I thought, what a fucking missed opportunity. Like, can we get a drag queen in here to re-record an audio commentary on this shit? Well, and so when we when we get to talking about camp and naive camp versus intentional camp, again, watching the movie, I'm like, well, this is intentional. But then hearing mm. him talk about the movie, right? outside of a part where he says this is supposed to be campy fun, where he just says that right the way he's talking about it i'm kind of like but you're taking this really seriously which mm-hmm. i get it's a job right like you want to make the best version of the movie you're trying to make but right it was just way so technical for something that i thought should have been we needed a cast commentary for this movie mm-hmm. well except that we can't because of certain people <laughs> yeah well okay and i think that's why this was shelved because not, well we'll talk about mm-hmm. one of the lawsuits later but we <laughs> we had de la Huerta who was injured on set during filming and there was a lawsuit during that and so i wonder if that was postponing the release of the film uh entirely possible yeah yeah well so here are some changes and we'll just uh, there's six of them okay. so in the original script steve the corbin blue character was a chef hmm. in the movie he worked as a paramedic of course same as the hospital right. um his original sex scene with danny took place in a hospital pool at night and not an unoccupied room of the hospital doing work hours so that sounds like hmm. a um location like they just couldn't get the location but hilariously enough, having sex in a pool is prime 90s erotic thriller territory. Yep. In the original script, there was no narration from Abby during any of the scenes, which... What? I... I mean... Look, no. We'll talk about Thundergood in a bit, but th- that narration is half the fun of this film, right? A hundred percent. Even if, you know, again, there's some issues with who was delivering it. Yep, yep, yep. Um, there was no romance between Danny and Abby. They were merely co-workers yeah. and friends interesting because i mean obviously that's part of the reason that we're covering it but also i think that's one of the things that actually sets this movie apart i agree and, and i because arnie akoski in the commentary says like this is my version of single white female but he like ah, wanted, that's so, what i was thinking but but that's the thing right whereas that movie like you know and y'all go back and listen to our episode on that but like it is queer but like not queer and yeah it's very coded whereas here it's like i am actively lusting after you like we fucked and now i want you to spend the day with me yes um (laughs) kathleen turner's scene with all the nurses near the beginning of the film was not in the original screenplay Mm -hmm. i (laughs) kathleen turner comes in for three lines one scene this isn't even a cameo no no this is like I am either friends with her or she was on the lot or something. Yeah. I have no idea. Maybe she's like besties with Judd Nelson and he was like, come over and visit me in Toronto for a day. Jesus Christ. All I could say is after having covered a Kathleen Turner film earlier this year, I was so excited to revisit her thinking she was going to have a juicy part in this. Nope. Like, oh, we're going to get to see her get murdered. And it's like, or she, that's literally the one scene. Well, because she's supposed to be the head nurse of the ward. But honestly, that a lot of that seems to be Nisi Nash. Yes, agreed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in the original script's ending, Abby seduces Steve after being invited to dinner. Danny mm. finds them in bed and kills Steve mid-sex with ha- Abby's hairpin, revealing that she had been testing Steve all along. The following final scene is of Abby changing her identity to Rachel, the uh, preppy HR girl, uh, and starting a new job, almost exactly how it follows in this movie. 
That is so fucking erotic thriller. I'm actually surprised they didn't go with it. Right. Wouldn't that have made it a It would have given Katrina Bowder more to do than just play the straight girl in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, we're going to have a lot to say about the climax of this movie, but <laughs> apart from that, there's not a lot for her to do here. Yeah, I, I agree. Also, there was no hospital rampage from Abby in the original script. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, they don't know where that came from, but again, um, <laughs> people think that it's uh, just a studio recommendation, which I'm guessing when they're like, oh, don't do Danny turning evil, right. then they switch it out for, cool, we're going to do a massacre in the hospital. Yeah, and I do I do feel like you can tell that that was either some kind of reshoot or maybe added in after the fact because there are some hair and makeup issues going on in those scenes. There certainly are. <laughs> and um, a lot of that seems to be on Miss Delaware to herself, who would actually leave and come back like the next day just different, uh, whether it be cutting her bangs or right. going to a tanning salon. Uh-huh. Yeah, you can tell. You can tell. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Principal photography begins in Toronto on September 6, 2011 and wraps on October 21st. The director in the commentary says explicitly he was really trying to go for the aesthetic of a noir film. Okay, I can see a little bit of that, especially like when you watch this opening, I I secretly thought, wait, does Trace know that he has scheduled a film mm-hmm. noir in here? Well, and he said, because he's watching and he's like, I don't know if it's going to come, because he's really focusing on the lighting. I was trying to light it like a noir. Mm. And he's like, I don't know if it's going to come across that way, though, because we're still doing post-conversion work on the 3D. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, that, oh God, remember those days? Just everything got fucked up by that 3D post-conversion. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, well, which, I mean, again, y'all go back and listen to our Piranha 3D episode. I think it's fine here. I actually have never seen this in 3D because <laughs> this didn't really get a big theatrical no. release. Mm-mm. But uh, honestly, outside of the beginning and the climax, I don't mm-hmm. think there's a lot of 3D here. Not a ton, no. The director does say, I mean, I'll, I'll repeat his exact quote, but um, he says, I hope you're having fun with this movie because that's what it's supposed to be. A psychodrama thriller killer, single white female as a nurse taking out the cheaters. Have a glass of wine and relax. We're campy. That's Nurse 3D. <laughs> yeah, which sounds great. But then also give us that audio commentary and spill the fucking tea. Amen. Well, okay, so here we go. So during filming, Delaberto was struck by a stunt ambulance, which was supposed to drive by her. Now... I don't know when they paid her, but the production later paid her $73,000 in workers' compensation for her injuries. And okay. in this commentary, which, again, did he record this in 2011 after they finished making the film? Or was mm. this in 2014, like, before the Blu-ray release? I I right. don't know. But he is being very diplomatic. And he being Arnie Akoski. Okay. Diplomatic and very complimentary towards Delaware, even when he's saying, "Yeah, we had to redo an entire night of shooting because Paws went to the bathroom, took her gloves off, and forgot to put him back on, and it caused a continuity issue. So we wasted hours of filming at 3 a.m. in like freezing weather on the roof of the St. Regis in Toronto." Oops. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so after filming, Delaware recorded additional. Vo- oh, I'm sorry. Um, and keep the ambulance in your back pocket because um, that money payoff will come back in a bit. Okay. After filming, De La Huerta recorded additional voiceover material for the film, but um, we will also come back to that. <laughs> <laughs> You're just dropping breadcrumbs here. I know. So she does this voiceover, but here's the thing. Unsatisfied with the result, the producers re-recorded the voiceover with another actress emulating De La Huerta's voice. So everyone, if you're watching this movie and you're like, something's 
off with mm-hmm. the voice of the voiceover here. That is because it is not Paz de la Huerta. <laughs> yeah, I I kind of knew that something was off, but I wasn't able to get my finger on it. And then after I had watched it the first time, you cued me to that. And then when I went back and rewatched it before we recorded, I realized, oh, God, yeah, you can absolutely tell when you're keeping an ear out for it. Mm-hmm. Well, because Delaware's voice is like an octave lower than the actress they got. And her inflection is not the same. Bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's great, but it's not good. So a year after this film comes out in 2015, Delaware sued the film's producers for $55 million, claiming that the overdub... <laughs> I'm sorry, how much? 55... This film cost less than $10 million to make. <laughs> She claimed that the overdub by another actress had infringed on her rights, been a breach of her contract, and damaged her career. And I mean, two out of three, maybe. Maybe, but here's the thing. So her lawsuit quoted a review quote, and this is Ed Gonzalez's review from Slant Magazine, and this is the exact quote that she pulled. Okay. But while Abby's performance identity at first intimates a willful reconciling of self-image, her artifice, already made unconvincing by the ever-new Delaware's unexpectedly somnambulistic delivery of beyond purple lines, such as they are like diseased cells culturing in alcoholic petri dishes, is quickly revealed to be little more than a product of the same male fantasies she rebels against. So, hmm. specifically, it was the somnambulistic delivery of beyond purple lines because that line was a voiceover line. Right, yeah. Which, I don't know that you could argue that one single review is enough to warrant, like, oh, this caused irreparable damage to my career. Exactly, and that is what the judge thought, because... Oh, okay. I just got my judge degree. (laughs) During this lawsuit, she tried to get more money from the ambulance incident, but... Oh, okay. Lionsgate Films claimed that she could not benefit from more compensation because she signed away her rights when she collected the first chunk of money... Um, when it, when that happened. Hmm. So the lawsuit was not successful. She appealed. But the appeals court determined that Delaware hadn't demonstrated a probability of prevailing on the merits. Uh, basically, <laughs> it is undisputed that the production company is allowed to dub or simulate her voice so long as it complies with the Screen Actors Guild Agreement, which allows for use of a voice double when the performer fails or is unable to meet certain requirements of the role. The Hmm. parties disagreed whether this condition allowed for dubbing based on dissatisfaction with an actor's reading of lines. And Delaware just said that she, it didn't apply because she was able, she was physically able to speak her own voice, but the judge rejected that. He also wasn't impressed with her argument that a provision in her contract that allowed her to have first opportunity to dub in English mattered since she was given such an opportunity to do off-screen voiceover narration during post-production. The judge also said, you didn't offer any proof of damages from the voice dubbing, and you also haven't shown any evidence of suffering any actual emotional distress from the dubbing of your voice, and discusses claims related to that injury of being hit by a moving ambulance. So, I see what she was doing, and I get it, but at the Mm -hmm. same time, it's like, how much of this is your fault versus how much of this is the filmmaker's and producer's fault? Yeah, I'm curious. Do you know offhand, was she doing any other work at the time, or was she like, legitimately kind of not doing anything except these lawsuits well so i didn't know what she was known for honestly this is the first i'd ever really heard of her she she Mm -hmm. became famous ish i guess for boardwalk empire right 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 okay but if we're looking at 2015 it's like 2014 she does the editor okay the giallo kind of parody yes which by the way though she's actually really good at it because she's being this but the movie calls for it because it is that kind of parody right right okay (laughs) But then, yeah, after that, I mean, like, I mean, tell me if you've heard of these movies, because all she's done is Bear, B-A-R-E, 
No. The girl is in trouble. No. Amy in a cage. No. Death in a desert. Oh my god, are these all just made by the same person? I don't know, but these are all in 2015. Oh. (laughs) And then she did a movie in 2016 called The Streets of L.A., and then she played Hippolyta in A Midsummer Night's Dream in 2017. Hmm. Uh, With Rachel Lee Cook, by the way. Oh, wow. And Frank Kranz. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, she hasn't really done much since, so, I mean, I... Mm. I don't want to speculate too much. But right. Well, we we don't understand the decisions that like people who are working in a court of law are dealing with. But by the sounds of it, it doesn't appear like she had a great case to make. But also, it maybe seems like this movie did actually hurt her career. Well, yes. But I suspect she might not be the easiest person to work with. Okay. If only because of, like, again, this director's talking about how she would just go and change things, whatever, like, uh, on her body. But then, I, 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 I just feel like there's something else here that isn't coming out. But mm-hmm. she was a vocal person in the height of the Me Too movement, especially post-Harvey Weinstein. Okay. She said in an interview in Vanity Fair that that Harvey Weinstein raped her on two occasions in 2010. So that would have been the year before this movie was filmed. Okay. Once after demanding to enter her apartment and have a drink, and once showing up after she had been subjected to repeated phone calls and had been drinking. She came forward to the police in 2017 within the New York State statute of limitations for her rape in the first degree. And the New York District Attorney's Office was considering bringing the charges against Weinstein, but then, you know, like 75 other women did. Right. In November of 2018, she filed a $60 million lawsuit in Los Angeles Superior Court accusing Weinstein of raping her in 2010 and then embarking on a campaign of harassment that she contends damaged her career. Okay. And and we know for a fact that he was doing that with actresses that he felt either rebuffed him or were not uh, acquiescing to his uh, rapey demands. Yes. Now, unfortunately, though, and I'm not saying this is what's happening, but I think because you're seeing a timeline – Issues with this uh, with this ambulance in the early 2010s. When this movie comes out in 2014, then, you know, 2015, she's doing this this movie ruined my career because of the dubbing. And then three years later, she's doing Harvey Weinstein ruined my career. Now, hmm. obviously, that is a very valid reason to say that. But I'm wondering right. if there are people in the business who were like, if we hire you, you are trouble. Uh, murky. Murky. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And not fair. But I have no idea, again, the truth of the matter. Mm-hmm. All we can say is that we know on this particular film, she was doing a little bit of weird stuff, but maybe also this movie was doing some weird shit as well. Exactly, exactly. And also, I mean, she's probably also still undergoing the trauma from the rapes she had experienced the year before. Right. Yeah. So when this film comes out, Lionsgate quietly releases this in 10 theaters and on video-on-demand platforms on Friday, February 7th, 2014, two and a half years after production had wrapped. This represented the first time a movie produced by a major studio had been premiered day and date. Uh, of course, that's, you know, going to theaters and on demand the same day. Hmm. Lionsgate and other studios had done that for films they had acquired at festivals, but this was the first time a production, like a film, like a distributor that also produced the film had done this. And so right. why this was done, no one knows, because when this announcement was made, Lionsgate refused to comment. Oh. Mm-hmm. Wow, there is a lot of murky shit going on here. Exactly. So the theatrical release was handled by Film Arcade, an independent distributor with whom Lionsgate had previously partnered with to release other movies. So they were literally like, we don't even want to deal with distributing some of the theaters. You can mm-hmm. go do this. And then they got it in 10 theaters. <laughs> right. Okay. 
Reception wise, it's kind of mixed, which makes sense. Um, we're looking at a 61% on Rotten Tomatoes based on 23 reviews with an average rating of 5.72 out of 10. It's got a 29 out of 100 on Metacritic and a 4.2 out of 10 on Letterboxd. But most of the film's criticism centered upon the script. Um, right. People thought it didn't have the wit that a film like this needs to give it the campy coolness it's going for. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter Subsinski of, of RogerEber.com gave it two and a half stars, said it's ridiculously lurid trash from start to finish. Anyone trying to argue otherwise is as crazy as its central character. However, while its aim may be low throughout, it at least comes close to consistently hitting its targets. But then Village Voice is over here like it never truly embraces its B-movie trashiness. So, yeah, it is a your mileage may vary situation. Right. It's funny. I end up sort of firmly in between those two where I think it it is a bit of the former but then also i kind of agree with the latter well okay so because we're doing this again as our as our camp thing so we did a series on camp back in our first year in 2019 we haven't really done like a series with this yet until now let's do a mini refresher on what camp is because honestly (laughs) it's something that i still don't have a for sure definition on joe Right, yeah, because it's not a simple thing to nail down. And honestly, if you got a lineup of people and said, hey, tell me your definition of camp and the best film you can imagine, you're going to get a bunch of different answers. Exactly. And so one thing to note, first of all, is camp is a sensibility instead of an idea. It is a love of artifice and exaggeration. It is an aesthetic and an aesthetic style and sensibility that regards something as appealing because of its bad taste and ironic value. But right. Then we're getting into, again, we're saying aesthetic. Okay, that's a visual aesthetic. But then what are, how far do we go into the content or the writing? Like, when is writing camp versus what we are seeing on screen, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Camp aesthetics disrupt many of modernism's notions of what art is and what can be classified as high art by inventing aesthetic attributes such as beauty, value, and taste through an invitation of a different kind of apprehension and consumption. So... Where high art necessarily incorporates beauty and value, camp necessarily needs to be lively, audacious, and dynamic. Camp aesthetics delight in a lack of respect and also a sort of rudeness. So that, to me, is where the content comes into play a bit here. Right. Yep. Um, it opposes satisfaction and seeks to challenge. Um, of course, we all know about Susan Sontag's you know, notes on camp from 1964, but one takeaway from her is that uh, its key elements are artifice, frivolity, naive middle-class pretentiousness and shocking (laughs) excess right okay i did seek out a video because there's not really a ton of videos on this because i think again i think camp is having a resurgence of late um and you can trace this kind of back to like i don't know the room becoming a midnight hit i mean we of course have rocky horror but like in terms of like modern audiences um but i found this video interview called it's good because it's awful it's a 2019 video essay on camp films by marissa triskowski and she kind of goes into about how hollywood has been leaning further and further into realism trying to capture the world as it is and um she because this is from 2016 i'm sorry from 2019 so she's using a lot of um like clips from gravity <laughs> for some <Yeah>. reason <laughs> interesting because i i feel like a lot of people are just going to immediately discount this and be like uh talk about the superhero wave of films then but the reality is it's like camp is a bit more loaded into particular genres and superhero films tend to be excluded from that well but here's the thing though she actually does start going into superhero films and how they actually are starting to exhibit and dipping into aspects of camp with Mm. their playfulness and their non-serious leads which harkens back to the adam west batman area not to that extent obviously but away from the doom and gloom of like again the dark knight the dark knight rises things like that right okay um camp rejects 
each and every aspect of realism. So it is trying to be something that is just not what you would see in the world if it's not real. With camp, we can either see it be completely naive or wholly conscious. And in naive or quote-unquote pure camp, the essential element is seriousness that fails. And that is going to be something like The Room, where Tommy Wiseau was taking everything he did very seriously, Mm -hmm. and none of it is. Right. But then you have wholly conscious camp. Uh, and that's where kind of we're going to dip into here with Nurse. Because uh, it's tricky, I think. So, you know, wholly conscious camp could be something like Sharknado, which is something that's trying to be very silly and stupid. Or even something like Strangers with Candy, uh, the TV show that's a camp spoof of ABC's after school specials. Uh, mm-hmm. But some have even said that something like Mandy could fall into the camp category because it's all over the place and very heightened realism. And right. that's where, again, where it's like, well, where does the line stop? With what we call camp. <laughs> and I think part of the problem, too, is that if you're looking for lines, then you're into a danger zone because camp doesn't operate that way. Not at all. And also because I feel like now, too, how many times have we seen, oh, it's campy. It's being it's just camp used as a defense for badness or mm-hmm. to say you can't critique this because it's trying to be campy. It's trying to be bad. So that that goes back to what you said at the beginning of the episode where you're like, I don't know how to rate this. Because how do you? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, because objectively ratings are based on taste. And typically camp is associated with things like bad taste. So how do you reward something that is meant to be objectively bad when it's not good, but it's not goodness renders it good? I don't know what you just said, but yes. So I don't, and that's why I'm I'm excited for this because I mean you know we've been going at this for over three years now and I I, I really enjoyed our camp series back in 2019 mm-hmm. but I feel like maybe we've been exposed to a bit more of it and hopefully we're a bit more knowledgeable so we'll be able to parse through these next few weeks a bit better maybe I don't know yeah I mean we started with a softball last week and then this is a, a confronting introduction where I think we get to have some interesting conversations about how do we define what is camp and is this intentional or not? And then we're going to dip into some weird classics in the coming weeks that I think are going to push our boundaries and our comfort levels. And I'm curious too, because do you think it's easier? I think the passage of time makes it easier to label things as Mm. camp. When you enter into modern things that are trying to be camp, that's when it becomes murky. So maybe in 20 years, this will be more clearly camp because the style and and way we do film is going to be different in 20 years than how it is today. So a lot of things that might be normal today might even be camp in 20 years because we're like, oh, I get it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it it's really difficult to live through a current period and be able to objectively look at it or consider what's going on because you're in it. You're living through it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean... The problem with something like Nurse is that it's likely not going to be a big enough text that it maybe even gets remembered in 20 years. Right. And that's when we start to get into what is the difference between cult and camp? And yes. Are they even different? And we're not going to touch on that today because those are whole other conversations. But then they intersect too. So you can have something that's camp and you have something that's cult, but then you can have mm-hmm. something that's camp and cult. And Whatever. That's what the discussions are here for. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. In case people wanted the answer to that one, cult has more to do with the size of the audience it finds. Camp is more about the aesthetics. Right. But the problem, well, the problem, that's not the problem, but like a a lot of cult films are camp. It's like a rectangle square situation. Almost. Mm. Maybe. 
see, you're trying to put a bottle on it. You're yeah, trying to no, make this exactly. easy, and it's not that easy. It's not. It's not. Well, why don't we go into this film, then, and we'll start to try to figure this out. <laughs> Sounds good. So we begin with a bit of a scroll that I did not document, but it's basically about how there's a bunch of killers in the medical profession. Which, sure. yeah, uh, apparently, <laughs> this is on the commentary too, the director said that they found a statistic, he couldn't pull it up for me because he didn't have it in his recording studio, but about mm. 400 murderers in the past 15 years were in, in the healthcare profession. Right. But again, he was like, that's not the actual statistic, but it was something like that. So we were like, cool, let's put that at the top of the movie. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so we're starting off with a lot of due diligence. I mean, yes. anybody who listens to true crime knows that there's a lot of like angels of death and that kind of stuff. Like people who feel like it's part of their calling to end the suffering of people. And then sometimes they take it too far. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you could argue that our Mrs. Abbey is one of those people, although she seems to be targeting a specific sect of people. Yeah, yeah. Because well, also I think a lot of these murders, they're killing people, yeah, like you said, in the hospital probably. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't really know what Abby's plan is for this entire thing. <laughs> well, in a way, she almost divorces her profession from what she considers to be her calling, right? So the opening scene of this movie is the calling. We see her standing in front of a mirror. She's applying mm -hmm. her makeup and she talks about how she's preparing for the hunt. So Trace, let me read you oh this uh, voiceover. I'm so excited. My name is Abigail Russell. I look like a slut, <laughs> but don't be fooled. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do the whole thing. This don't time. do that. <laughs> this is merely a disguise to lure the dangerous predators who walk among us. This is their jungle, their breeding ground. And tonight I am on the hunt. These are the cheaters, the married, lying scum. They are like diseased cells cultured in alcoholic petri dishes that destroy unsuspecting families and infect millions of innocent vaginas. Oh, that that is the one, right? <laughs> no, the one for me is there is no cure for the married cock. Only me, the nurse. So my husband and I, whenever... <laughs> We don't even call her Abby. We're just like, look at me, nurse. <laughs> she is just nurse. And not the nurse, not a nurse. She is just nurse. I'm just nurse. Yep. <laughs> and again, we are seeing Paz de la Huerta doing all this. And we, I think the first shot of her is her backside. And of course, she's wearing mm -hmm. this like see-through black dress with no underwear on. So you see her full ass crack. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. But we are not getting her voice for no. the beginning of this movie. <laughs> nope. Nope. Yeah. And, and we should probably acknowledge off the top so we are gonna talk a little bit about the sort of changing look of de la huerta mm -hmm. i found her sort of cosmetic surgery and or makeup job and or tanning and haircutting a little distracting at different times it seems to change from scene to scene and shot to shot and i don't want to go into like oh she is a woman who has gotten work done like you and i have very publicly talked about how we don't like it when people talk right. about courtney cox that way people can go back and listen to our scream episodes i don't want to do that thing here but i do want to acknowledge because it is changing it was noticeable and it did distract me a little yes and that's that's exactly the thing right we're not going to be critiquing her looks but just say that it does cause continuity issues within the film and mm -hmm. the tanning thing is because so i think i i think i think this opening scene is that because her face looks a bit puffier but the thing is after she tanned they had to go in and make up to like make her look lighter but like right. she looks darker by accent <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like she she actually looks dark skinned in some of these shots. 
and you could say, oh, well, in the hospital, there's fluorescent lighting, so she looks whiter or something. But it's just, yeah, it's it's a little unusual. But again, to me, and this is obviously unintentional badness, mm. that adds to the camp factor for me. Oh, sure. Yeah, because you're you're literally seeing the badness and the inaccuracies on screen. Like, Constantly. oh, shit, they didn't fix this. It doesn't look right. Exactly. Exactly. So, again, but that's something where it's like, OK, it is literally bad. It is mm-hmm. bad. It is bad. But is that making the film better for you or is it making it worse for you? I mean, these are the question marks for me on the initial watch. It was distracting. So I was like, yeah. what is fucking going on here? And then the second time around, I was like, this is weird. Like, it's just very weird. <laughs> Slap that on the poster. <laughs> I had a lot of, que- like, a-, a lot of things in this film just kind of left me with question marks hanging over my head. We'll say that. Shh, shh, shh. We don't ask questions. <laughs> <laughs> it's better if you do not ask questions of this movie. Just submit yourself to nurse. Basically, the nurse. <laughs> Okay, so we see her moving through this club, and she ends up luring this married man, Fred, up to the roof. She cuts his femoral artery, and then she pitches him over the ledge. I do like that she says, you know, I always give them one more try. And I'm like, bitch, you're standing and making a come-hither gesture. That's not one more try. And then she proposes she's giving him two different options. He can either go down the stairs and bleed out in 90 seconds, or he can take the fast way. It's like, well, those aren't options. You're killing him either way. Well, well but it is an option. It's just how he he wants to die but okay she is giving him a chance because the, she is doing the come hither but he has the choice to follow her or not <laughs> she, she's just leading him on I but guess. i um this death scene again to me can't because not only when she pushes him do we get a wilhelm scream mm-hmm. we get this like weird slow motion freeze yeah. frame and then this horrendous looking cgi imp- 3d impalement on his on, as he hits the fence at the bottom yeah, and a lot of the blood here, the CGI blood, this is after, right? Like, we're not really yeah. seeing much, if any, blood done from practical effects, right? I think any time, well, anytime there's blood on a person, like, yes, but anytime there is blood spraying, mm. it is especially bad CGI. Yeah. And I, but I do, th- I think the worst, absolute worst effect in this movie is the scissors through the neck. Oh, God, yeah, it's terrible. It is the worst. But again, I'm like, well, like... Is it is it camp? <laughs> See, you're like, no, Joe, don't ask any questions. And then you throughout this movie. Well, is it camp? Every time we get something that could be camp, we're just going to ask that question. Then y'all can just just get, make a report card for us and then we'll grade it at the end. <laughs> and the answer is nurse. <laughs> nurse. <laughs> So I am going to introduce the one and only reading that I could find on this film. It is by Tatiana Porokova, and it's a article called Eroticizing the Nurse, Bi Slash Homosexuality and Monstrosity in Nurse 3D. And it's mm-hmm. in a book called The Nurse and Popular Media, Critical Essays. And Porokova doesn't do a ton of deep readings in this it's basically about like the depiction of the nurse as a sexualized object and i'll bring in a little bit about her queerness because that is kind of the tail end of the article but Mm -hmm. uh for this piece i did think it was interesting right off the top she says in principle she as in abby views cheating as a form of illness that she as a nurse simply ought to cure Murders are thus, in her view, simply necessary medical procedures carried out in order to make the world a safer, healthier place. So that's kind of what I meant that it's like she has, like, Abby has a day job, and then she carries that over into her moonlighting gig, which she 
use as an extension of her medical profession, right? Like, that's why she's always using, like, tranquilizers and, like, scalpels as her weapons and stuff. Yes, but then in true uh, fashion of this type of story, like, she's clearly been here for a while, but it is the arrival of Danny that then just ruins her entire like routine and starts mm-hmm. it's when she starts to get messy which yeah. i don't buy that someone like her would get messy like this uh yeah it's always confusing to me when people who are like psychotics manage to hold it together until something arises and then all of a sudden they are committing a kind of like <laughs> like a mass murder spree yeah. on a hospital floor <laughs> you're just like oh wow that escalated quickly yeah, I mean, because even with, you know, she's just going to random parties trying to get cheaters, cool, whatever. But then what right. is it about Danny that's like, I'm going to follow you now? Yeah, and unfortunately, the movie doesn't do a great job of telling us what it is about nope. Danny that Abby <laughs> finds so exciting. So we we have these pulp novel credits, which to me, honestly, was the best part of the movie. I thought that these were legitimately great. I thought that they were inspired and fun. <laughs> the music's really fun in this, too. I mean, not just the, the whole movie. I think the, the score is really good, but also all of the little needle drops, which I don't I don't know any of the songs, but they were really, really fun, and I have mm-hmm. to believe this composer's gay. Oh, interesting. Okay, okay. There's a lot of old-timey vibes in the music cues, like, particularly mm-hmm. I'm thinking of when she lures Judd Nelson down to the morgue and so on. Like, we get a kind of, like, <laughs> old-timey record scratch. Yeah. And it's funny because, obviously, we can also talk about her visual aesthetic, right? Like, all of the nurses in this hospital are dressed up like fucking pinups, which is why I said, like, eroticized stripper nurses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because these are not nurses. Nurses don't wear platform heels to work. They don't wear the hat like that. Like, they don't have dresses that are miniskirts that show their thighs and their asses and shit. I mean, you also wouldn't have the new head of HR walking by the head doctor's office as he presses a woman's tits against the glass. Like, mm-hmm. she would clearly have a problem with that, but yes. she doesn't. She just keeps walking. <laughs> Yeah, like, this is Bizarro Land, the hospital. We have no idea what is going on here. And as you said, one of the elements of camp is we're getting as far the fuck away from realism as we can. Yes. I mean, everyone, if you work in the medical profession... Oh my god, do not watch this movie. You'll be so mad. Point out all the problems. And the answer is nurse. Nurse. (laughs) Okay, so yes, Abigail works at All Saints Hospital. Uh, And she is the mentor of Danny Rogers, which also makes no sense to me. When did this happen? How did this happen? Why do Danny's parents not seem to know who the fuck she is? How come she's never met Steve before? That's the thing. It's it's like they met this week. Right. And they've recently become friends. But then, uh, theoretically, Danny's been working at this hospital through a residency, maybe? I mean, maybe not. She also apparently freezes in panic at the first sight of a gurney coming off of an ambulance like she's never seen a sick person before. Right. I guess nurses probably don't do a residency. I'm thinking of, like, actual, like, surgeons. But, like... Oh, but they would actually have training. Like, she she would have had to complete a bunch of... I mean, think back to Raw. It's a veterinary no, yeah. school, but obviously they've got lots of hands-on experience. Maybe it's... The, yeah, I, I can't explain that at all. <laughs> no, it, it's just stupid dumb dumb badness very dumb um yeah we get this kind of like slow-mo introduction to katrina bowden as danny you know she's walking around uh we also see abby talking about how much she loves her fucking job as she fucks some dead guy pump full of hypodermic needles wait no i'm it is this voiceover again but it's like this 
I love my fucking, fucking job. <laughs> so Brian did not watch this with me, but obviously he's always in the same room because we have a one-bedroom apartment, and he mm. just looks over and says, are you watching porn right now? You know what, Brian? Fair. The answer is yes. The answer is nurse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so this is the graduation ceremony that we were talking about earlier. Dr. Morris, that's the Judd Nelson character with a horrendous mustache, introduces yeah. Betty Watson, Kathleen Turner. Don't get excited. She's already gone. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get, like, I didn't even take note of who Danny's mom is because she's not a character in this movie. Mm -hmm. But who is a character trace? is Dr. Larry Cook, played by the one and only Martin Donovan in just an absolutely shit heel role. It's, okay, when we get to the therapy stuff too, I have a lot of questions, but like, he always plays this same type of character, but... I mean, if you're good at it, I guess be typecast as the despicable loser, but also like middle-class successful white dude. He, he, yeah, ex exactly. And I'm not saying that Martin Donovan is like a an actor of like high caliber, you know, of high esteem or whatever. But oh, when he showed up in this, I felt bad for him because he is better than this. The whole cast, though, right? Like, okay, Judd, I, mean, I guess Judd Nelson hasn't really done anything in a while. But like Corbin mm. Blue coming off of High School Musical, like doing this shit. Oh, dude, no, I checked out his credentials, and he's been in a ton of shitty horror movies. Ooh, but wait, has it been since, like, after 2011? Because this would have been right after High School Musical 3, I think. Uh, wait, no. This was oh, not right after High School Musical 3. No, I think it was before this. Like, he had a string of a three or four just kind of abysmal-looking God. Well, apparently he really relished the opportunity to get naked in a movie and, like, just get as far away from his Disney image as he could, which oh, sure. we've seen from Disney people before, but apparently mm -hmm. just didn't didn't click for him. <sighs> yeah, yeah, because he also has not done a ton after this either. He did Dancing with the Stars, and I think that's his big thing. Yeah, I do remember that. Oh, man, poor guy. Yeah, um, I will say that Abby is also not a fan of his, so we learned <laughs> that he apparently couldn't go to doctor school, so he became an EMT, and I was like, fuck you, Abby, EMTs are important, like, <laughs> it's just like, uh, it's not like a failure for someone to not become a doctor to then become an EMT, like, that's not how the process goes. No, but, but she's only doing it because she hates Steve. This is true, yeah, because he is her romantic competitor. Yeah, we exactly. We just don't really know it yet. I mean, kind of, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it, does, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Yeah, whatever. Okay, so we do see Steve and Danny hooking up. As we mentioned, in the supply room, we do get to see Corbin Blue's butt. This is the only male nudity we will see in this movie. Yep. Uh, they do stop mid-coitus because he mentions the idea of moving in, and she is so turned off by it that she stops the sex. I was like, girl, girl. But then, but then we have Niecy Nash coming in. Whom I love, and I joked with you that I would actually very quickly jump aboard a Regina, that's the Niecy Nash character, mm -hmm. and a... Uh, What's her name? Rachel from HR. I would have mm -hmm. watched a buddy comedy with those two in a fucking heartbeat. Well, and you know what's funny? Because the woman from HR, I was like, she looks so fucking familiar. What do I know her from? Mm -hmm. She is the coke-addicted, like, new wife, or no, the sister in Ready or Not. Yeah. Can you uh, God, and she was a scene stealer in that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and she is great in this movie to the point that I wish that there were more scenes. I wish that there was more scenes from a lot of people 
but also then it would be taking away from Dillaherta, and I want more Dillaherta. Well, but see, though, because I know a big problem with you is the second half of the film, because yeah. we really switch perspectives from Abby to Danny. Yeah. If we, well, A, if Danny was a psycho killer, that actually would have, yes, I, now that I know that, I'm like, oh, that would have made that a lot more fun. Mm-hmm. But if we have, we had done something with more with these characters, it would take more time away from Danny, at least. This is true. <laughs> Not to say Katrina Bowden is bad. She's just, she's a bit of a bland heroine, but also just this character. There's nothing to her. But she's also the, I mean, there's probably, well, I guess Corbin Blue is playing it pretty good, but her and Corbin Blue are playing everything very straight. They are yes. not, they are not camp. They are not going over the top. And mm-hmm. so it's this really weird juxtaposition of aesthetic and then DeWert's performance with mm-hmm. these two. <laughs> yeah. Even Nisi Nash is like doing something here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, other people seem to just be having fun, whereas I could argue, and this is coming from someone who, as I said many times, I love an erotic thriller, but it feels like Danny and Steve are the protagonists of a very conventional erotic thriller, and everybody else is in a bit of a, like, campy, schlocky fest. Yes, exactly. And it needed to lean further into that for it to work better for you. Absolutely. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Danny does freeze when she needs to be, like, actively helping out as these gurneys show up, um, and she ends up getting berated by Morris. And this is when we learn a little bit about how he likes to indoctrinate the new nurses, and can't you tell by the bulge in his pants? Oh, yeah, yeah. But but that's Abby saying (laughs) that that's your quote. This job is more than sticking thermometers in butts and looking pretty. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> which is not untrue. I mean, I don't think you need to be pretty to be a nurse. You probably need to be qualified, but there is more to it than sticking thermometers in butts. No, you have to look like a sexy stripper nurse. Right, okay, sorry, got I, I got confused. Got it, okay, good. <laughs> We're on the same page. <laughs> okay, so then we get this, uh, you know, this is a movie <laughs> that has a lot of female nudity in it. And I've actually been making a lot of jokes about how this was for horny teen boys. And uh, I'm thinking back to our Showgirls episode with Nay, where Nay politely reminded us, oh, there might be women who would be turned on by this as well. So we should probably be careful with that. But I did think of that in this scene in particular, because we see Danny showering, and Abby is sort of looking at her. We see Katrina Bowden leaning against the wall, the slow motion water, but she's wearing fucking panties. Yeah. And I'm just like, it doesn't work. Like, Brian looked over and he was like, oh, you are watching porn. But then he said, why don't they frame it so that you can't see that she's wearing underwear? It makes no sense. I don't know why she... In real life, you would not be wearing underwear like this. No, or you wouldn't shower there because you feel uncomfortable with public nudity. And I'm glad you pointed that out, though, because I literally saw a review from someone that was like... you get, It was it was a bad review, but it was oh, like, right. a, well, you get to see Katrina Bowden's ass in the shower, so that's something. And I was like, but you don't! No, you don't. <laughs> no. I mean, like, the, it's flesh-colored underwear, so you could maybe make out shapes and so on, but it's like... I mean, I feel like you're seeing just as much when she's wearing her sexy stripper nurse uniform. No, and, and that's to where we're getting into because, you know, for some roles, okay, it requires nudity. So, you know, you, you work all this out beforehand. So, like, she probably had new, like, she probably has a no nudity clause. But 100%. Yeah. For Della Huerta, she actually, she <laughs> told the director, I don't know if maybe she was going to be bottomless in one scene and then just ran with it. But basically, like, it was not required her to be pantyless in all of her scenes. And that was a character choice on Della Huerta's part where she goes, no, 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 Abby does not wear underwear. So literally any time where she wouldn't be wearing pants, Mm -hmm. she just is completely fully nude because she's not wearing panties. 
Yeah, let me tell you, that was a surprise. And to the point where I started to really respect, I didn't realize it was Dillahurta's decision, but it was just like, this is brazen. I'm shocked. I'm like, wow, okay, we are doing this. Like, how often do we just see women bottomless, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, her her vulva is just like out, like for many, many scenes. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Not so much in this one because she is getting in the shower, but strangely, she too keeps her underwear on. But did you notice that she's wearing like a full on set of lingerie? Yes, absolutely. Because because her butt (laughs) is still out, but like, yeah, she's wearing these like, very sexy she's got like the garters on and shit i'm just like yes. wow i can't even imagine how mm-hmm. impractical but i mean sexy mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay so she sees that danny is upset by the fact that she froze on the job that she's being sexually harassed by dr morris so <laughs> she suggests that they go for drinks on the way there danny sees that her stepfather dr larry is cheating on her mother so she confronts him that'll come back later yeah. and then they go to the club And this is when I was thinking, oh, this is single fucking white female because this club looks like the club in that movie with it's just like, what the fuck weirdness going on? We've got, sure, people dancing up on podiums or tables, but we've also got barbed wire fencing lining the entryway, which is where Abby roofies Danny's drink. Uh And then... Starts making out with her, taking salacious photos, and then this is intercut with a sexual assault scene, which is then, it's never addressed as such. It's very much just, ooh, I've got naughty blackmail photos of you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what I, are your thoughts on that, Joe? So I don't like this. Okay. <laughs> Shocking no one. Well, no, because I, 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 do you not like that it's a that it's in the film at all, or is it because the film is asking us to relate to Nurse as... Uh, protagonist no so this is again where i'm gonna kind of bring in our discussion from showgirls where Mm -hmm. the intersection of camp as you mentioned is about getting away from realism right like it's this hyper heightened reality right and something like a sexual assault just immediately brings it crashing back down to earth for me and Mm -hmm. i know that seems ridiculous when we're talking about this woman going on a murder rampage but the deaths are ridiculous in this movie And this sexual assault feels like it's just in here, but we don't actually want to address it at all. So I'm not going to fight you on that because, I mean, we've had plenty of discussions about sexual assault and rape and everything. So many fucking discussions. Like, literally, I was going to say, oh, go and listen to any Patreon episode. It's like, yeah, if you want to listen to us talk about rape, go listen to the Patreon episodes. Exactly. But this is, again, where if we're talking about camp, Mm -hmm. where I'm like, okay, well, then if we're going to go, because everyone's in definition, but if you say that camp aesthetics delight in a lack of respect and a sort of rudeness, it's irreverent, which, of course, by definition is a lack of respect for people or things that are generally taken seriously. I'm not saying you can't critique that. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying you have to like that because, oh, well, that's camp. And that's where we get into discussions like, you know, is it critic proof because Mm -hmm. we're saying it's camp. Right. But... And granted, with this particular film, do I think this writer was taking any of that into consideration? No. Not really. No. And and I should clarify, once again, this is one of those things where it's not a deal breaker for me. Mm-hmm. I just, I feel like you could have accomplished some of this in other ways. Like, you either don't need to roofie her and you could have it just that she and Danny are drunkenly making out, which again, you know, there's consent issues inherent in that. But like, maybe you don't need to go full on, oh, we fucking raped her with some random dude from the club. 
or you maybe unpack it a little bit more or you can, I don't know, like find a way to make it a bit more zany. So it's not a sexual assault. It's just kind of like, oh, we we pulled a prank on you and now we're going to use it to blackmail you. And at the end of the day, I think truthfully, this is how you can tell it's written by a man because yeah. he he probably didn't even think about this as rape. And I'm not excusing that, but I, I can tell you that that's probably why it's not even addressed later in the film or just because it's like, it's a 79 minute film. What is he going right. to do? Yeah. All this to say you, you basically got to go with it because we're going to talk about it a little bit. But at the end of the day, the big takeaway is just that we've got photos that Danny doesn't want other people to see. Right. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll be talking about sexual assault more in the coming months. But I mean, we had a discussion back in June about Perdita Durango, which, you know, we, we had some pretty uh, serious discussions about with sexual assault and rape. But mm -hmm. I, I think this also adds a bit of exploitation to the mix, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 Not as strong as it could have been. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're definitely teasing forthcoming titles. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to steal people for future episodes. <laughs> there we go. It It's not so insurmountable. It's just something where I was like, oh, okay, we're going to do this in this movie. Yeah, no, I totally get it. And but everyone, in case you're worried, nothing is going to be worse in this ballpark than it was in Purdue Durango. So you'll be fine. Okay, yeah. Good to know. <laughs> okay, so the next morning, Danny wakes up and she's in Abby's frankly amazing loft porn. It looks great. I would live there. Um, apparently it's the same apartment they filmed The Vow in, the uh, Rachel McAdams Channing Tatum movie from like 2011. Oh, okay, okay. I don't know. Fun fact. <laughs> I'll seek it out. I'll take photos and let you know. Well, you know, you can actually go to the club they were in where uh, she got roofied earlier because that is apparently um, the biggest club by the water in Toronto, but it's like a couple, it's around seven other clubs. Oh, um, I mean, you're being generous by thinking that Toronto hasn't demolished everything and put up a condo in its place. Ooh, there you go. Yeah, and this is 10 years ago, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, this is where we get our first real instance of Abby's propensity for walking around bottomless. Should mention, Paz de la Herta looks great. Like, oh, the body is fantastic. fantastic. Mm -hmm, mm hmm So, like, she's walking around and you're just like, Jesus Christ, okay. So here's the thing. So we were going to get full frontal male nudity in this scene because the shirt that Katrina Bowden's character is wearing is a Hawaiian shirt that's mm -hmm. one of the guys that was in the pictures with her. So oh, right. Okay. Uh, her rapist, basically. Yeah. And he was supposed to, like, basically, she was going to leave. And then, you know, Paz de is like, or I'm sorry, Nurse is there, like, going through her shit. And uh -huh. um, the naked guy's going to come out of the shower, cock out, and per the director... Everyone thought that was a little too much, which he thought was dumb since Paws was fully bottomless anyway, but mm -hmm. Paws never chose to never put on underwear because she thought that's what Abby would do. So all of this movie and someone, the producers, the studio, whoever, was too much. Dick's too much. Dick's one step too far. Which, honestly, if you're thinking about over-the-topness in a kind of erotic thriller territory, hello, we've got Kevin Bacon in Wild Things. It's, I, well, no, I was saying, well, maybe the difference is because that, that, this is a female-led film, but so is Wild Thing. So, mm -hmm. I don't, yeah. I mean, I, I'd like to think that if this were made today, no one would bat an eye. Also, yeah, I have no idea. I have no <laughs> idea what the issue with Dick was in this movie. No, we know exactly what the issue is. The issue is with Dick. You and I have both written articles about <laughs> how there just isn't Dick in films, and basically we're on the we're on the Dickessence right now because of things like Euphoria and a bunch of other television mm -hmm. shows. But yeah, I mean, if this was made nowadays, for sure, they'd be slapping a prosthetic on, and we'd be seeing Dong. 
That being said, it did make me feel better to know at least that that wasn't the director's intent. Because at least him being like, yeah, like we're going to fucking go nude all over this movie. Like, let's do it. So right, yeah. it softens the blow, but it still sucks. <laughs> Where's the dick? <laughs> okay, so Abby wants Danny to call in sick because it's a hospital. People get sick all the time. Um, sound sick. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, okay, so we, we have cut delahurda some slack her line readings mm. it just feels like there's an extra beat between every single word i don't i do, I, I don't know i don't know i, I want to like compare it to something but it's going to be offensive so i'm not going to say it but it's like i don't know what she was thinking but mm-hmm. then i'm also like well the director's watching her and listening to this so yeah it could have it could be a like, he maybe never told her make sound more normal <laughs> Or, or he was like, this is great. This is going to stand out. She's so different from everybody else, which I have to believe is what you want. Like, you cast this actress to give this performance amidst all of these more straight acting people. But also, it's just, it stands out like a fucking red light, man. Well, and if we, because if, he says, you know, he's trying to do noir. So I wonder if he, like, showed her a bunch of videos of femme fatales and she just picked one that was... Hmm weird maybe. <laughs> maybe like the offbeat one <laughs> i don't know i don't know but but yeah the the handing her the phone going sound sick mm-hmm. is just a re I, one of many very bizarre line deliveries in this it's film so bizarre yeah so uh denny says no she's gonna go into work and this this is one of the first of many breaking points for Abby. So she says, well, fine, fuck you. And she starts to copy all of those salacious photos of the sexual assault onto mm-hmm. her laptop so she can use them later. And then we are introduced to Abby's neighbor, Jared, who is played by Adam Hirschman. This is a character who has three scenes in this movie. <laughs> Every time he showed up, I forgot who he was. Well, and the only reason he is in this movie mm-hmm. is to kill Boris Kojo later. Because Correct, yes. I was literally like, why is he even, he doesn't have a Wikipedia page. Who is this, why is this person in this movie? Mm-hmm. Although we do at least get her really good line where she's like, my schedule has been murder. <laughs> <laughs> She's like a laconic teen where she's just like, I can't be bothered to enunciate properly and everything sucks. And the schedule's been murder. Yes. I mean, again, whatever vocal inflection she is doing. I am I don't know if it's her if that's how she just talks. Like I haven't seen her in Boardwalk Empire, no. so you'll have to let me know, like, does she talk like this normally? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we could have looked it up and we didn't, but now yeah, we, we just didn't. want clips, is what we're saying. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so Abby moves into phase, I don't know, million of her plan, and she goes off to therapy with Dr. Larry, the stepfather, and this is... Hmm. Who should have immediately turned her away 100%. as a conflict of interest. Absolutely, yeah. Even if we're thinking about doctor-patient confidentiality, he knows, because he literally just met her the day before, yep. that mm-hmm. she is the mentor to his daughter. Well, yep. stepdaughter. Nevertheless, they have met in person prior to this. That isn't already mm-hmm. an immediate conflict of interest, but they have a personal connection. So, but again, what does it matter? <laughs> uh, well, and I think we're getting a bit of insight into who Dr. Larry is. We already know he's a cheater, so he's probably a little unscrupulous. This is also the only time we will get Paz de la Huerta actually doing the voiceover because it's voicing over her flashback. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. So we get the sepia tone flashback to her at eight years old. We see her mother encouraging her to go in and say hello to her father. And she opens the door. We see the dad. 
doing something, but we don't know what. We don't know what, yeah. yeah. Ooh, what could it be? <laughs> if you can't guess, you've never seen a movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, so we're back to the present day, and we've got Abby confessing that she thinks that Dr. Larry can help her lick her addiction, and then she basically sticks her ass in his face so that, you know, he'll want to fuck her later. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Who wouldn't? Of course, yeah. I mean... I think the black dress at the beginning is her best look, but I do yeah. like this kind of clamshell brassiere with a very tight bottom. I'm trying to, th- I feel like what she wears whenever she kills him is really good too. Uh, oh, that's the the see-through one. The white, white dress, white, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay, she looks fucking great. The costumes are good. <laughs> Zaldi, your costumes are good. Like, let's yeah. go. <laughs> Uh, okay, so then we go back to the hospital. Danny gets some flowers from Steve as makeup about him horribly asking her to move in. What a fucking asshole he is. God, I know. She basically gets assaulted not once but twice by Dr. Morris, who's like slapping her ass. The the dick graze is okay. just egregious. It's in front of the nurse's station in front of other people. He says, bumpy start, Rogers, but I've got a feeling you'll fit in perfectly. But it's not even a graze. He literally like presses his cock into her ass crack. Mm-hmm. I do wish that Judd Nelson had uh, taken this bigger because obviously bumpy start and you'll fit in like he's talking about his fucking dick. Mm-hmm. It's like, accentuate those words so that we can get the wordplay. Yes, yes. But, okay, I really want to do the next line reading if you are not already going to do it. <laughs> uh, what do I... Oh, yes, okay, I will let you. So let me set the scene for yes. you. <laughs> so we're back in the in the change room. Abby sees that Danny has these flowers from Steve, and she gets really pissed off. So she she sees that Danny is taking yet another shower. And Trace, what does she say? It's a voiceover from not Pazilla Huerta. Right. Um, As I watched Danny's sweet, round ass, the one I had eaten the night before, Mm. prior to finger-fucking her to six orgasms. (laughs) (laughs) And when I saw those tacky $10 little flowers from Dickless Steve, uh, she needs me, whether she knows it or not. (laughs) Yeah, this is where we really, really, really get confirmation that it's not just, oh, I did this to the girl that I'm mentoring because I want to fuck her up because I'm a psychopath. This is... I am sexually obsessed with this girl and I want her for myself. And I mean, there are subtler ways to do it, but I will say I cackled and what the <laughs> fuck at the finger fucked her to six orgasms after eating that little round ass. Yeah, yeah. The one I eaten the night before. That's because you again, you don't often hear eating ass. You don't see it. But you certainly don't hear people talking about it in movies. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> You know, it was, yeah, brazen. Brazen is the word I just kept coming back to. Like, wow, okay, this movie is doing it. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Bad taste, man. (laughs) Definitely bad taste, yeah. So uh, the two women sort of relate over their daddy issues, and this is when Abby offers Danny a spare key to her apartment, and this will be a plot point later. Kind of, sure. Kind of, sure. (laughs) Nothing's really a plot point. (laughs) So this is when we get the Dr. Larry seduction scene. This is filmed so oddly. You know, we've got the great music drop. I forgot to look up the artist, but I think she's from New Zealand. And, you know, it's a very, like, good for her, fuck you men kind of anthem. And Mm -hmm. he's trying to pull out of the parking garage. And Abby just stands in his headlights in this gorgeous see-through dress. Yep. And 
then we watch her stand there for like another five to ten <laughs> seconds. And I was like, hello, can we move on? Like, where's the editor? <laughs> so I, I don't know. And the funny thing is, if you pay attention, um, the, the it's a cop car and it's another car that keep going, but they only had two cars. So it's the same two cars that keep driving behind her. <laughs> oh, sure. I can tell you exactly where this is because, yeah, they basically shut down the street and then they had two cars drive back and forth for like <laughs> five hours. But yeah, again, no, it's a thing where it's like, are, is this intention? Are they holding it this long for a reason? Or is it someone just to forget the runtime? What is fucking going on? Here? I have no idea. No idea. Yeah. So anyway, she gets in the car and she takes the dedicated husband, esteemed author, learned educator and renowned <laughs> therapist into an alley to fuck. <laughs> I didn't look up whether or not this drug is real. Uh, Vecuronium. Vecuronium bromide. It's a medication used as part of general anesthesia to provide skeletal muscle relaxation during surgery or mechanical ventilation. Right. Or in the words of this movie, it simply paralyzes you. (laughs) Okay. That's super long exchange that I read by myself at the beginning of this episode. That's not even this one. It's like, okay. So she injects him and then she goes... It's already paralyzed you, and soon it'll make it impossible to move any other part of your body. And while Vecuronium is slightly more expensive than its competition, it produces few adverse side effects. (laughs) It simply paralyzes you. So, like, in case you didn't hear her the first time that it's going to paralyze you, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it tells you again. And we will be told again later. So many times, yes. (laughs) That's why I thought it was fake, because I was just like... Are they trying to trade stock? Do they think this is vibranium, like in the X-Men universe? I don't know, but it's amazing, and it is so funny. And again, her delivery is just like, she pauses so many times Mm -hmm. (laughs) between words. (laughs) Oh, yeah, like this is a two-minute scene to do the five lines of dialogue you just said. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do like, okay, I'm sorry, I'm I'm getting ahead of this off, so go ahead. Okay, so she does some light bondage where she ties him up with her neck scar. This is, again, you know, she's kind of playing actual nurse to him because he starts to drool and she cleans it up like you would with someone if you're looking after them and their well-being. Mm -hmm. But she has basically already decided that she's going to kill this dude because she tells him, oh, yeah, it'll be great, you you know, your daughter's going to get all this inheritance and people will be better off without you. So she puts the car into gear. It rolls out into traffic and gets T-boned and he did. I, okay, so I like the prosthetic on his face, though. With oh, it his looks good. Yeah. Removed. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, Ooh, And then her voice. There we go. There's practical. Yay. There you go. Um, But then her <laughs> Larry made me come after all. <laughs> oh, I it was before that. There was actually moisture trickling down my leg. Oh Larry my god! Made me come after all. Like, so okay. she gets she gets sexual pleasure from killing these men. Like that's like oh, sure. I love it. Yeah, and and to me that almost would have been better. Like the movie is divided between these two storylines, which is that there's this psychotic woman who is murdering, cheating men. Cool, that's one thing. But then we've also got she's also randomly sexually obsessed with this girl that she's mentoring, and she can't she can't let it go. But also, you know, she's out here angel of deathing these men who are cheating, but she herself is raping this young woman. I'm just like, yeah. okay, what are we doing, movie? She's got a bit of a double standard, but again, again I will go back. That That is the man. The, what man <laughs> did mm-hmm. this? Male screenwriters not realizing what they were writing as rape. I'm 100% yeah. certain that's what happened. Buh. Buh. I mean, yeah. 2011 is a very different time period. Like, we have made some progress in the last 12 years. Yes, but, you know, not 
a lot. <laughs> not, not as much as we should or could. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Okay, so she goes back to her apartment. Oh, actually, we missed all the maestro stuff. Okay, I was like, she's apparently <laughs> never heard of shiitake mushrooms in her life. <laughs> shiitake mushrooms? Oh, they sound delicious. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I do love the idea that she's supposed to be calling 911, and instead she's asking about the specials of this meal, and then she's like, ooh, an orgasm and this dinner at this maestro's place. And then we get Jared's second scene because he tells her it's a little late for her to be getting back home. Fuck you, Jared. Mind your own goddamn business. I know. I don't... I, I get outside of him having to kill Boris Kojo, I don't know why this character's in this movie at all. Oh, no. That is literally the only reason he is here. And also, it's not even like... It's not even played by a character actor. It's just a nobody. You know what? He's probably a Second City actor here in Toronto who was like, It's my big break! <laughs> Nurse! There you go. No. <laughs> Nurse 3D, man! <laughs> oh, man. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, so she discovers that Danny is waiting for her back in her apartment because she used the key to let herself in. She's very upset about Dr. Larry. I don't understand why. It doesn't make any sense, but okay. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is where Abby says, okay, well, why don't we go up to the roof? We'll drink some wine under the covers. It's all very cute. And then we learn that Danny has accepted Steve's offer to move in. And Abby is very upset. And this was the other line I considered using off the top because this was one of the first lines where I just genuinely fucking <laughs> lost it. Like, <laughs> laughing my line. ass off. You're a nurse now. Grow up already. <laughs> what? <laughs> Those two sentences have nothing to do with one another and also have no bearing on Danny moving in with Steve. <laughs> Grow up because you're a college. Yeah. (laughs) My God. Oh Oh my God. And of course, so Daddy, acting like a regular person in a non-wild movie, rightfully is like, "I'm gonna get the fuck out of here." So she tries to leave, and Abby basically tries to stop her, and she says, "You know," she mentions something about how larry died in a car accident which is something that danny did not tell her so danny gets freaked out and leaves so cut to the funeral let's introduce a new character because (laughs) we haven't had one of those in a hot minute Mm -hmm. so we've got this hot cop detective ed rogan who as you mentioned is played by boris kojo and he gives danny his card after the funeral and then when danny sees that abby has been talking to this police detective she wants to know about what to which i'm like i thought you didn't care like what why are you asking well and and then she's like i didn't tell you but i was a patient of your father's Mm -hmm. and and i'm like girl (laughs) no you don't need to say that that's not part of your plan no it's not part of your plan (laughs) even like he was very important to me (laughs) yeah like your one session but but also she's no because she's talked about how much of a shit he is beforehand. So mm-hmm. none of none of this makes any sense. It doesn't. Like you could literally cut this scene if not for introducing the detective. 
Well, and fun, fun, because this is the halfway point of the film, but Boris Kojo, apparently, when he came on, he asked the director, he was like, what is this movie about? And he just goes, I don't know, man. <laughs> nurse. This movie's about nurse. <laughs> All right, so at work, Danny uh, starts getting the salacious photos sent to the work email. Yes, I'm pretty sure we're in an intranet situation. I don't think that they can, like, I think the computers are speaking to one another. I don't know that we're just checking email at the nurse's station. <laughs> right? Uh, the, yeah, the, 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 they keep using Skype in this movie, but they're not using Skype. <laughs> no, no. But they keep saying not. it's Skype. <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't afford Skype, but we wanted to say it a lot. Exactly. So she's trying to hide all of these pictures. I love that she's not even like, holy shit, I just got confirmation that I was fucking raped by Abby and someone, like, she should know exactly who's sending her the pictures. <laughs> and yet we never get a confrontation scene about this. She's just constantly trying to close the window. <laughs> yep, yep. And again, she's not bothered by the fact that she was essentially raped. Yeah, it's a very, like, I mean, I get it. You're at work and you don't want these photos to be seen by your coworker because Regina is right there. But it's also like, girl, take a moment to process. Uh, but also, who cares? Because we've got Regina doing a funny bit, right? Where she's watching another new character, Trace. New <laughs> HR director, Rachel Adams, as you mentioned, played by Melanie Scrofano. And she is just the perkiest woman you have ever met she's given out smiley face stickers to everybody which automatically means that regina who we have only seen being fun yeah she immediately goes grouchy and she says i will punch that bitch right in the face well <laughs> whenever she calls later and she's like I, I need rachel's phone number and she looks up in the employee directory and they like she, they got her listed under smiley face bitch <laughs> <laughs> okay that's good um, but again, th this character, okay, whatever, new character, sure. ugh, whatever, it is such a weird character to put mm -hmm. into this movie. Oh, yeah, like, it's kind of a red shirt role, right? She's introduced so that we can get some necessary information about who Abby actually is, aka Sarah Price. Mm-hmm. You know, it, Rachel's old neighbor slash friend Child. that was institutionalized at age eight. Okay, well, sure. I love that too, right? It's like, okay, the HR person coming in just happens to be the same girl that lived next door to Abby, Sarah, before she went cuckoo bananas and killed her father and went to an institution. <laughs> uh -huh. Well, also, and she's like, you look just like her. Like, the whole scene is just engineered so that we can have this conversation and Danny can overhear it. But, like, didn't she say that she hasn't seen her in years? Does she look the same as she did at age eight? Well, and the fact that we have the flashbacks, it's like, well, she doesn't, though. <laughs> I mean, I I know that there's a, a mention of, oh, the last time I saw her, she was off, like, selling her mom's house, and presumably she did not do that at age eight, but it's just, it's such a weird thing to be like, you look exactly like this person, therefore you must be this person. It, I mean, it is such lazy, well, again. Oh, it's I'm very saying, lazy screenwriting. Well, yeah. Is it lazy screenwriting, or is it like, is it oh, look, well, but, okay, but, but, but here's the thing. If it's lazy screenwriting, it could still be camp. Yeah. <laughs> because it's, it's, it is naive camp. <laughs> mm, yeah, it doesn't realize it's being campy because you're just like so dumb. But but that's again going all the way back to that. It's a thing where it's like okay, like this movie is not one thing in terms of like is it holy? Is it pure camp? That naive camp or is it intentional camp? Because it's doing both of them. But then what does that make of it? Mm -hmm. Like how good or bad does that make this movie? <laughs> yeah, 
I mean, this scene is interesting because it feels like it could be taking place in a traditional erotic thriller, right? It's Mm -hmm. the snappy character who has come in, doesn't realize what danger they're in, identifies the villain of the piece, and the villain plays it cool and immediately zeroes in and says, well, I'm going to have to fucking kill you now, which is why Abby says, oh, we should do drinks later. Do you think this film is particularly well shot or directed or, like, stylized? Uh, it's not your question, I'm just wondering. I don't know. Like, yeah. I didn't find it hard to follow the action. I don't think that the scenes make a lot of sense in terms of, like, they often feel either too perfunctory. Like, this scene exists just to give us the information about Sarah Price. Right. And then mm-hmm. we move on, and you're like, shouldn't there be something more to this? Like, shouldn't we see Danny crying about the photos because she realizes something? It's like, no, we're not going to do that. We're just going to get you to point a to point b to point c we we have end credits to get to y'all it, yeah we've got 79 minutes and we need to burn <laughs> so um yeah i'm skipping over the part where rachel randomly sees two people fucking that we never unpack or talk about but okay it's funny as hell because she it's a jump scare but then it's yeah. like moving on about her day uh-huh <laughs> yep uh sure okay so um this is when abby begins to stalk danny so danny has indeed moved in with steve she's moving her stuff into the garage and the house and abby can clearly see her because she makes a comment about what she's wearing and then we get a second round of salacious photos being sent this is where you realize steve is a not a character in this movie and also he's a big old dum-dum because he a mistakes the photos for porn and b He then is like, oh, I want to hear all about this. But the most important thing to him is that he feels like Danny and Abby are getting too close. Not the fact that Abby might be a psycho. No, 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 not at all. And also, what, 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 why? Why would he think that? Because (laughs) they went out once Mm -hmm. and then she went to her place after her stepfather was killed. So it's like. What 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 have they done <laughs> to make you worry about them getting too close? Yeah, he he leaps over any kind of logical explanation and just goes to, oh, they must be fucking or they must be potential <laughs> lesbian lovers. I guess. Which and again, by today, by any standards, uh, Danny is not guilty in any of this. And she no. should just be like, look, this is what happened. <laughs> Yeah, I I mean, you would hope that they would have a good enough relationship where she could say, uh, I'm getting these really whacked out emails of this sexual assault that I got, and I need your help. And instead, she's like, "Uh, well, you can just go to work. We'll talk about it later. (laughs) So he does. And then that night, she is awoken in the middle of the night by a Skype call, and she sees that Abby is threatening a drunken Rachel on camera and seemingly kills her. So she ends up calling 911. This is super fun, though, as we see her dangling the, <laughs> the needle, like, next to her neck, and she's, mm-hmm. like, playing with her. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we should note that we've kind of crossed over, and this is really now more Danny's story than it is yes. Abby's. And mm-hmm. these are the kinds of scenes where I'm like, oh, there's Pastor Laherta having fun. Oh, shit, I'm stuck here with Danny on the wrong end of this Skype call. Yeah. No, I, I, I do get that. I, I still enjoy this more than you do, but... I- I, I, I get why you're saying I get why you think that. So the next scene is the next day at the police station with Detective Rogan. And this is erotic thriller 101. It's, yeah. oh, who's going to get to the police first? Oh, shit. It's Abby. She's making fuck eyes at the detective. And then he comes out and he just lays the whole case to say, 
oh shit girl you're being gaslit by both me and your boyfriend we think you're obsessed with abby not the other way around rachel from hr is totally fine and then steve gets all upset and he drives off on his bike and this is i'm gonna repeat this line exchange because it's just it's just the, the, i feel like this is unintentionally bad but oh 100 percent. it is the we found vecuronium in larry's system do you know what that is it's a paralytic drug well why would larry inject himself with a paralytic drug he wouldn't it paralyzes you (laughs) (laughs) know what this line delivery reminded me of what the scene in malignant where she says i'm adopted yeah (laughs) yes 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 i just i just god again i'm like what who who Mm -hmm. i know who wrote this but who wrote this (laughs) yeah who wrote this and didn't think no this needs another pass (laughs) this is not a line that a human person would say in response to this also even with with, when steve drives off he keeps revving his motorcycle to to get it to annoy her i guess but i had the subtitles on and they actually like show us what they are saying Mm -hmm. but you can't hear them if you don't have subtitles on so i was like why okay why is this even here (laughs) (laughs) why do we need him revving eight million times is he trying to cover up like non-diegetic sound that the cast was having to deal with (gasps) maybe maybe they got too many like sounds from the street maybe oh my god that would be hilarious if that was the case (laughs) but like this is kind of important dialogue because it's it's a breaking point in their relationship like steve will not talk to her again until the hospital climax it's not the whole conversation it's basically the tail end of it like he says something she says something and then he says like I'm going, I won't be home later. But, like, you cannot right. hear that through over over his revving. See, I think the I won't be home later is a pretty telling moment. Like, there's an element of finality to that. Yes, exactly, exactly. But, you know, whatever. Rev your motorcycle. It's not dude. important. Revving noise, revving noise. <laughs> so, Danny goes to work. She tells Morris what's up. We don't really see, but we see that Abby knows that she has had this conversation And then because Rachel is still a character in this movie and she's not dead, we see her looking up Sarah Price and then she gets attacked. And I was really mad that we don't either get to see more of this or we don't get to see a body. I have no idea what the reasoning, well, behind most of any of this is. No, (laughs) just general blanket statement. No idea. But specifically with this, go on. But but knowing what they are trying to do with this movie, it's like, why are you giving us a kill scene? Why why are you doing a, we're going to drug her and pull her away and then never see her again? Mm -hmm. I guess maybe, maybe, maybe you could argue you're supposed to still be like, well, is she dead or isn't she? No. But yeah, it's like, no, you can't do that twice in a row. Like, no, 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 no. She's dead this time. Well, and and this was the problem to the point where I almost didn't expect to see Rachel from HR again after she was used as a pawn in Abby's scheme. I thought, oh, okay, ha ha, Abby fucked Danny over by letting Rachel go so that she... You know, so that Danny looks like a fool in the eyes of the police. And then we're not going to see Rachel anymore. Like, her scenes are done. And instead, we've got this non-starter, but it takes place so soon after we already thought Rachel had died on the Skype call. And just like, what are we doing? We're doing the same thing? Yeah, I, well, it, it, I would have been more appeased by this if it was Rachel's body in, in Danny's trunk later. Right? But give we don't me, I know that. what you did last summer. Like, throw in a couple of crabs, give me a homage, and let's go. Exactly. But we don't even get that. We get a phone no. and some drops of blood. Yeah, it's... 
I mean, I wonder if it could just be budgetary and or time constraints, but that's what I kind of ended up taking well, away from this. And and that's the thing. It's like, I'm like, I, I was hoping the commentary by the director would give me some insight into this. No. But I'm, again, I'm just wondering it because of the lawsuit that was going on with, with the ambulance, the first lawsuit, mm. if he had to be on his best behavior when doing this. I mean, you also don't want to burn the studio. So if it is about money or they ran out of time shooting, maybe you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot because you want to have a good working relationship. Yes, obviously, yes. (laughs) (laughs) It just, it sucks, right? Because half the reason we like to listen to these audio commentaries is, yeah, you know, tell us how you did shots and set things up and how the actors were and what was on for craft services that day. But also... Tell us about the things that we can't fucking find out otherwise. Well, he's also, he does a lot of, like, giving advice to younger filmmakers. Like, sometimes if things don't work out, you just gotta run with it and just, you know, like, just do this. I'm like, dude, just shut up and just tell me about the movie. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm an aspiring filmmaker. I'm definitely turning on the audio commentary (laughs) for for Nurse 3D 3D, (laughs) looking for insight. I'm sorry. That was so fucking patronizing and cynical, but just, like, dude, come on. No, I know. I mean, look, I I get it. You know, you're making a movie, blah, 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 but, like, come on. Like, (laughs) look at the movie you were talking about here. Let's have fun with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, embrace the campy fun that you talked about at the beginning. Yes, exactly. And you know, that's when we're talking about this kind of stuff. I'm like, well, how much does intent matter here? I guess. But that's the thing is kind of with camp, part of it is knowing the intent, or at least Mm -hmm. the work giving off the vibe to where you can pick up the intent. Yeah, it would have been nice to have known if he felt like certain scenes were delivering more on that campy, fun vibe. Or if he was like, yeah, and here's really more of the erotic thriller component, and that's what we're trying to achieve here. Like, he mentions the noir element and how he was trying to achieve Mm -hmm. that. It's like, so talk about the campy parts then, too. Yeah, well, that was the first scene of the movie where he was talking about the noir, and then that's out. (laughs) That's out. Okay. Um, speaking of out, this is where I check out of the film for about five to ten minutes. We've got Danny going to Sunnyview Institute, where she finds the most confessional orderly I have fucking ever seen on screen. Mm-hmm. Just literally reveals uh, Sarah Price's entire backstory, aka Young Abby, about how she walked in on her dad schlupping the nurse. Ooh. Um, I'm sorry, playing hide the snake with the nurse. Jesus. <laughs> Uh, and and this is my like fucking electric complex to the max where she's like oh i saw daddy fucking a nurse and then i grew up to be a nurse okay sarah slash abby but then also killing all the men who were cheaters yeah indeed so she does end up killing dad he's the original victim she gets sent to this institute there she meets nurse janet (gasps) abigail russell wait trace that's her name but then then she disappears so we don't know what happened to nurse abigail nurse janet abigail russell do we no i assume that she eventually died and she took over her name but she could have just as easily killed her and took over the name well it's like it kind of not that i need more explanation for this i mean well a lot of things need more explaining in this movie but <laughs> like statement but like uh like yeah like uh oh like maybe she, she died and that that that's what finally set her off and set her on her killing spree yeah, like she was finally free to do what she wanted to do because she didn't have any kind of responsible person looking yeah, after her. Exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. No, no one being like, now don't go murdering people, you hear? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So, speaking of responsible people, back at the hospital, this is when Abby lures Dr. Morris, aka Judd Nelson, down. I will say, okay, you asked me earlier, do you think it, this is shot well? I do like the shot of the two of them going down the spiral staircase to the morgue. Yeah. Yeah. No, any, any, it's like the overhead shot, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Now tell me this. 
What is her plan after this? Ooh, do you think she'll just leave the body in the morgue? I I don't know. Like, because, <laughs> okay, because we know based on the, the police interrogation earlier, like, you know, she checked out the Vecuronium through through oh Danny's name to help set her up. Mm-hmm. So I would assume maybe there's going to be a frame job here, but we don't, I mean, if, if so, we don't figure it out. Maybe. Either that or she is so far off the deep end at this point because, you know, Morris is the, the head doctor of yeah. this hospital, presumably. So maybe the idea is that now that he kind of knows all bets are off, so she's just going to burn it all to the ground. I guess so. But, um, I mean, who fucking knows? The movie doesn't give us enough information to know. Not at all. I do wish we had more than just her cutting off his arm. Because I think that's really fun when you see the arm like, just like fall to the side. It's still strapped oh, to I the like table. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this blood spray, CGI with a touch of practical? I, okay. So I think they already painted the blood splatter on her face and everything okay. else is just CGI, CGI blood nonsense. spray. Okay. Um, I do. Because <laughs> she's like. We can gouge out your cheating eyes and we get the 3D effect because she points the scalpel at the camera. Wow. Or say about your heart if you have one. Or <laughs> let's get rid of Mr. Weenie so he can't cheat on Mrs. Whiny anymore. By the way, Mr. Weenie is looking very teeny right now. <laughs> oh God. You know, with story credit by Dr. Seuss. <laughs> I saw so many people reference this line, and I was just like, I cringed at this. Oh, it's Not so funny. in a good way. I was like, no, no. Either that or show me show me that dick getting cut off. That would have saved this scene. Do do for the dick what you did with the arm. Hey, hey, honestly, would be, well, hey, we want to go camp. Mm-hmm. You show you know, his, his genital area, and his penis right. is just completely not there because it has, like, literally gone inside his body from how scared he is. <laughs> Like that, I hear that, his testicle retraction surgery went very well. That's camp. <laughs> oh my god. Terrible, terrible. Yeah, so um, all this to say, Dr. Morris has now been killed. Uh, and for those keeping track, this is our second bottomless scene from Miss Dilla. Right, because she's bottomless the whole fucking time. <laughs> yeah. Which we, we knew was coming because she hung the panties on the sign to lure him into the morgue. But honestly, I was just like, I... I think what confounds me is the bra on and then nothing else. I'm just like, but why is the bra on? I don't understand. Um, any any of our listeners with breasts? No, that wear bras? no. Do not answer this question. I well, no, don't. No, no. Like, like, is there a practical reason for leaving the bra on when you're naked? Because my, because this is how gross. My sister is always like, no, no, no. When I go home from work, bras off immediately. Oh, the bras so, are off. Yeah, yeah, the bras are way more restrictive than like wearing a pair of panties. Exactly. So yeah, what is there a practical practical reason for this or does it fall into the it doesn't make any sense umbrella it doesn't make any sense it's camp it's <laughs> nurse oh, man. okay so this is when we get danny discovering yes rachel from hr has a cell phone and some blood in her trunk so she calls i was trying to figure this out does she think she's calling detective rogan and she gets abby or does she just call abby outright um i don't i don't know okay <laughs> It's not clear enough. I will say this is the least enthusiastic looking fucking I have ever Wait. seen because that is what Abby is doing with Detective Rogan. No, so it actually um it, it is she's calling Abby's phone because okay. the profile photo of Danny is the one from the rapey night. Uh okay. Okay. 
Yeah, I, I knew immediately that Detective Broken was either a bad lay or Abby was just doing this to make sure that she had him on the line. Mm-hmm. Because, A, the way that leg was wrapped around him, not enthusiastic. No. But also, if you're reaching to see who's calling you in the middle of sex, unless <laughs> you've got like an elderly parent or a young child and you're checking for an emergency, like, you're not into it. Well, and she hey, she's also rude as fuck because she answers the phone and then she looks at him like, this is a oh, private I love that. call. Oh, I love that so much. I'm going to go take a cold shower. A cold shower to kill my boner. Yeah. Because <laughs> well, he didn't get to come. No, not at all. Because he wasn't doing a good job. I mean, I will say, if we could have gotten male nudity in this film... Mm-hmm seeing him come out of the shower with the towel on the waist and the six pack and the pecs oh my god it was good this is when you want to just read just shot for shot redo the kevin bacon and wild things (laughs) a hundred percent just have him come out of the shower dick first and be like abby are you here it could be split second we could pause it we could turn it into a gif or a meme or something yeah and you can make it an outright homage like yeah i was doing wild things there because i just did Uh the exact same fucking thing (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, God, the missed opportunities. Mm-hmm. Nurse. Mm-hmm. Okay, so she she's basically gone because she has soft threatened Steve's life to Danny. So we are now en route to the climax at the hospital. Danny does call Rogan to give him the heads up, you know, hey, look into Sarah Price and all this other bullshit. So yep. <laughs> we get to the hospital and this is where Danny sees Abby. So she tries to stop her. They start to have a bit of a girl fight. Regina gets involved. She gets punched in the face. <laughs> this is, and I think this is the last we'll see of uh, Nisi Nash in this movie too. It is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's just knocked out cold for the rest of the movie. Uh, what do you think of this full on brawl? I actually think it's really. I actually wish I went on for longer before mm-hmm. we start moving through the hallway. I like like right. we entered the room where the the I guess the lab technician is just yes. listening to his his headphones, and they're just mm-hmm. that needed to go on longer. Where and honestly, for style, if you're directing this, have the, his diegetic music become non diegetic, mm. and we just literally have him like facing the camera, like listening to his music as we just see them brawling behind him for like thirty seconds. Like that that's what this needed to add right. some humor to it. Yeah. As it stands, it's a fun cat fight, but it's not a ridiculous fun cat fight. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that originally we had a completely different ending. Do you think that this is all new then? Like, was this cat fight in there at all? Or no. would we have just gone to the house? We would have gone to the house. or wherever, I mean, again, wherever Abby is trying to right. seduce Steve and then, mm-hmm. you know, Danny kills him. Which, again, then you can have a team-up of them where they're like, oh, we're both crazy. Like, let's go. <laughs> we don't say crazy. But they are crazy. Well, yeah, okay. I, sorry, <laughs> I mean it in the literal sense. Like, they are both killers. They're crazy. Right. Okay. But, okay. <laughs> but, but, um, but, um... No, so I don't think any of this moving forward was in the original script. Which, it's fun. I still think mm-hmm. it's fun. Um, okay. And, again, once we get to her... You know, just killing security guards and patients, oh, pulling tubes out of patients. It's like, I don't know what her plan was. I don't know how mm-hmm. she had intended to get away. I don't know how she got away, to be honest, by the end of this movie. Oh, it makes no sense at all. No, no sense at all. But I, I do think it's fun to watch. I just wish it were mm-hmm. a bit sillier. Okay, yeah, because this does feel very straightforward. Again, we're into single white female territory, right? The stakes are life and death. We mm-hmm. are fighting to kill each other now. Oh, yeah. I mean, when she uses the defibrillator on the guy and she, like, blows him across the room, that was mm-hmm. really fun. 
Yeah, I will say one of my favorite moments is when they're scuffling on the floor and Abby just kicks her in the face. Oh, yes. And we kind of get like Pastor Laherta keeping her leg out like she's some kind of Street Fighter action star. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's slow-mo kick. Yeah. So bizarre. Um, We have a good line delivery. When she stabs the guard in the eye with the scissors, she's like, you had your chance to be my friend. And then she does this, this um, Danny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that, that was kind of the moment where I thought, oh, is this where the original ending would have been inserted then? Like. It seemed like some of this was added after the fact, but then part of it might have stayed. But yeah, that moment was very, oh, we are going for melodrama. Well, okay, because they don't know it's her in the hospital bed when she stabs Corbin Blue, right? Like she's, Mm -mm. she Hannibal lectures herself by putting blood on her face until, because apparently her tits are not recognizable enough. I mean, we've been seeing them the whole fucking movie, so they're pretty recognizable to us. But also, presumably there was a body, or was that just an empty gurney? I was confused, too, because I was like, well, weren't they, like, they weren't in the room, but they were outside the room with a full glass window where Mm -hmm. they could see in there. So they didn't see her either, A, bloody herself up and get on the bed, or B, bloody herself up, push a body off the bed and hide it, and then get back on the bed. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, at this point, things are happening very quickly. I will say, if you're into the gore, this is pretty good. Like, we're we're just watching with Steve and Danny as they're trying to get into this room as Abby just goes apeshit on patient after patient. And there's something sexualized about the way she's killing people and getting off on it and then looking up at Danny to make sure that she's still being watched that I actually really liked again slow it down just a beat Mm -hmm. this is Mm -hmm. like very action movie style frenetic kind of editing and shooting and then yeah uh Steve gets it in the neck and we are just out and we're moved on and yeah I, I wanted it to take a little bit longer and I will just reiterate, I do think the shitty CGI item, again, specifically this fucking scissors come up at the guy's neck. And then she opens them and it's like an even bigger CGI gash. Oh, terrible. <laughs> terrible. But I, I'm likening it to the shark biting Adam West's leg with the shark repellent in the Batman movie, you know? Mm. Like, it's just, it, it is the our, our modern example of really shitty effects that just look bad. But again, is it camp? Is it bad? Is it good? Or all of it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if we're thinking specifically about the 3D effects, the one that was really egregious to me was when she hits the air valve and oh, sends yeah. it down the hallway. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this reminds me of some not great effects from Final Destination 3. Uh, You mean the Final Destination? Whichever one is egregiously using 3D and it doesn't look good. Yeah. But the weird thing is, is because that film plays it serious, we don't talk about that as a moment of camp. Whereas here we would say, hmm, it could be bad CGI or it could be unintentionally bad and therefore camp. Well, I think it's intentionally bad. I think, well, okay, wait, I'm sorry. They know it looks bad. <laughs> right. <laughs> but... But, like, I don't know, if they had a bigger budget, would they have made it look better? Yes. I don't think they made it look bad to add to the camp factor. I think it... So it intentionally looks like this, but it unintentionally adds to the camp factor. Oh, my God. See, I'm already talking about (laughs) I mean, basically, bad is good. That's the takeaway from a lot of this. (laughs) So Danny is bloodied. She, yeah, Hannibal lectures herself. She is wheeled away. I didn't need these flashbacks to her full relationship with Danny as though she's what thinking oh this okay. is what I could have had I I thought I wrote the same thing I was like why are we flashing back through every scene they've had in the movie <laughs> Mm-mm. Mm-mm. 
Yeah, I, I'm really not a fan of these kinds of scenes because it almost feels like the creative team saying, hey, did you pay attention? This is meaningful. And it's just like, especially here, I don't really understand what we're supposed to take away from it, except for the fact that she is still obsessed with Danny, which, yeah, well, message received. We got that over the last 78 minutes. Are we supposed to feel bad for her? Like, are we supposed oh, to? God, I hope like, not. <laughs> but, that's not that, but, but that is what something like this supercut would, would normally do. It's supposed mm. to be like, oh, she's losing the love of her life. And so right. let's show you all the good times they had together. Mm-hmm. But that can't be what they're doing, right? <laughs> I mean, I put nothing past this movie. <laughs> so... The article I mentioned earlier from Prorokova, mm-hmm. she specifically ends it by talking about whether or not Abby is coded or like, you know, fairly explicitly labeled as either bisexual or lesbian. And she reads this not as any kind of like, she's not doing Valerie Complex's reading by saying, oh, this is the the killer lesbian and it's a trope we need to right. get rid of. But she is saying because so much of the film is shot from a male gaze like female sexualization point of view right that it ends up making her lesbianism a thing for male viewers yeah which i'm again i'm kind of like okay but if we bring back nay's comments about is this a fun sexy romp for lesbians and bisexual women who look at paz de la herda you know fucking walking well, around badge out and saying like yeah she's a villain and it's super campy and she's fucking hot and i like it i mean i guess but we are saying that yeah you're yes you're all right everything about that is right but yeah it's like well w- would the discussion be different if this were directed by a woman or if it were directed right. by a lesbian woman or uh, mm-hmm. but, and that's the thing where i'm like yeah like it is male gazy in the sense that yes a male is the one directing it and the male is the one like, shooting it but right it's also kind of par for the course with this film. Now, granted, I'm not saying that that critique can't be applied here because it can. Mm-hmm. Would it be easier for me to deal with if we had male nudity too? Right. Yes, exactly. But but again, then it's like, but that's not the creator's fault. That is the studio's fault. And the well, <laughs> I think creative decisions can be made, and directors can try to force the issue more. Yeah, no, you're, you're very, very true. Um, you're very correct. I'm sorry, you're very correct. Um, so I, again, it's like none of it's wrong. It's just a kind of a sure <laughs> to all of it. Yeah, it it was interesting to me because I definitely got that impression, right? Like this is so obviously male gazy, and we're you know all the costuming. But the movie knows that. The movie does know it, like it's intentionally doing that. But then I just think it's funny to me how we default look at this and say, well, this is a movie that's intended for teen boys. And we immediately disregard bisexual women and lesbians as getting any kind of pleasure or joy from this movie. And I feel like that's something we, like you and I, need to be careful of doing. Mm -hmm. But more broadly speaking, like when we have women who are sexy or engaging in sexual activity... There could be an audience that we're not taking into account who could be deriving a lot of pleasure. From well, that. and I think that's where we kind of get into a, I don't know if Sigma's the right word, but like around females and female sexuality. Because again, mm-hmm. it's always a thing where it's like, oh, women don't enjoy sex. Women don't like sex. Oh, women, but, but also like historically, like some people think women don't like to watch porn. They don't masturbate right. to porn, which isn't true also not true (laughs) but um but yeah so i think that's where that mindset comes from like we're just limiting it to men because we assume only Mm -hmm. men would like something as trashy and and vulgar as this right it it's not only our default but 
we don't dare think that women could actually like some of this stuff. Like stoop this low. <laughs> women, tell us. Do you like Nurse 3D? Do you stoop low? <laughs> I think uh, that's like my new album. It's dropping on Tuesday. Stoop, stoop low. low. <laughs> Okay, let's wrap this up. So okay. Abby makes a break for it. We don't even see her try to wrap up her life. She just like comes out the fire escape. She's got this bag. Detective Rogan is waiting for her. And this is when, of course, we get the Jared payoff of it all. So Rogan wants to bring her in. She pretends that he's either mugging her or going to do something to her. And Jared hits him in the back of the head with a baseball bat and kills him. And that is it. And that is why Jared's in this movie. And now he will never be seen again. Except for the scene of him just being like, yeah, I'll take care of this body and drags it away. As though Jared, this character we know, there there seemed to be a line earlier that he drives the coroner's van or that he maybe works for the coroner i guess but he's just dragging it down the alley to the open streets <laughs> right jared what is your plan sir i have no idea but it doesn't matter because the movie's almost over <laughs> no and the movie doesn't fucking care about jared so let's go to florida where we see abby assuming the identity of rachel adams from hr and of course I applaud Pastor Laherta for attempting to put a shinier, happy affectation on her voice. It's oh. not 100% convincing, but no. uh, this is where we end the movie. <laughs> um, you are such a dear, and you have a wonderful day, okay? That's that. It's like she's talking to children who don't understand her. I don't know what she's doing. <laughs> It's bizarre. But that is Nurse 3D, everyone. It's um, Nurse 3D. We have talked about this movie for longer than the movie itself runs. Yes. I I still love this movie. I have a bull. I love showing people this movie. I think it's so fun. I don't disagree with you that after the halfway point, it does lose a bit of its silliness and it starts mm -hmm. getting into like, oh, it's just kind of bad territory. Yeah, I mean, the kills are still enjoyable, particularly when we just get to the sheer ridiculousness of the climax, like them throwing each other around and Abby just absolutely killing anybody who gets in her way was really enjoyable, but it doesn't, it doesn't have the same fun, can be guilty pleasure feeling as the opening sort of act of this movie. I agree. And the shitty thing is, I mean, if, not that it'll ever get remade, but if it ever got remade, you know, we could get that original ending with Danny becoming bad. But the problem is, mm -hmm. we're not gonna have Pasta Luerta. <laughs> no, to the point where I wonder if a remake would even have the foresight of saying, oh, what this movie needs is somebody who's completely out of marching touch. to the beat of their own drum in this central role, because that is the saving grace of this movie. You can quibble that she's not delivering a good performance. You can talk about how bad this character is or their lack of motivation. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, the reason that people are going to watch this movie or enjoy it is because of this performance. No, I mean, it, it, it is on the same level for me as Tommy Wiseau in the room. Like it, it is that kind mm -hmm. of like unaware horrible acting and right and i'm saying that as like the biggest compliment i possibly can like i know yeah, because gonna you love it well because she got i mean all the reviews like oh my god she's so bad i'm like yeah but that's kind of the best part of the movie it's the charm it is the charm and you will constantly be wondering to yourself what was anyone thinking mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. every single scene of this movie right and uh, yeah uh that that is why i like it <laughs> right that is nurse that is, that is nurse so <laughs> 
<sighs> All right, everyone. Well, before we announce that we're covering next week, um, just some housekeeping. So if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at Horror Queers. Join our Facebook Horror Queers group to hang out with other listeners. Find us on Letterboxd to keep track of all the films we've covered. And go to our YouTube channel to look at, um, well, interviews with filmmakers, monthly hangouts with peers where we discuss random horror topics and um, other fun stuff. Yeah. If you have a moment, please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. And um, we are in July now, so we got a new Patreon schedule for you. So please go subscribe to patreon.com slash horrorqueers, and you'll get episodes on uh, horror TV and film flip-floppers. That's a really fun moniker, Joe, but that's um, uh, what horror films that have gone to TV and vice versa. versa. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Attack the Block and Signs to celebrate our episode on Jordan Peele's Nope, and of course an audio commentary on Buffy the Vampire Slayer to celebrate its 30th anniversary. Yeah. Yeah, Joe. Um, oh, what are we discovering next week as we continue our camp <laughs> theme? Oh, boy. Okay, so for week number three, we're going to duck back into the past and we're not going to have to have conversations about, oh, is this camp? Because it absolutely is 100% fucking camp. Mm -hmm. We're covering our first John Waters film, Trace, and we're going to look at female trouble. Whew, I am so excited. And for anyone who's like, why aren't you doing Pink Flamingos? It's only because I think if we are going to be introducing John Waters, this is an easier movie to watch than Pink Flamingos. <laughs> right. And this is more horror-y, isn't it? Uh, I'm quibble with that. I don't, I don't really think so. But um, if we want true horror, like Multiple Maniacs is John Waters' only true horror film. Well, then Serial Mom, I guess, to an extent. But... Right. This is a really good example of camp, and some of y'all will really like this movie, and some of y'all will not get this movie at all. And that's okay. We're going to talk through it next week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's kind of the reason why we elected not to do Serial Mom as well, because that's a far more conventional, not, not to say any John Waters film is conventional, right. but it's the one that more people are familiar with, and we wanted to kind of go back to the source. Agree. I, I think, too, when discussing that, it's like, yes, uh, let's look at where John Waters started before he started doing studios, and mm -hmm. I'm gonna say watered down, because it is, because when you, <laughs> wa when you watch Female Trouble, you're gonna be like, oh yeah, they couldn't put any of this in any of his movies. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, in the studio system. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, well, I'm excited to check it out. All right, everyone. Well, until then, we can cross out Nurse 3D. <laughs> yes, and cross out Horror Queers. <laughs>